Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. The bell's ringing. And so you could see how the Buddha unpacked this for us, right? And so let's talk a little bit about what happened there, you know? Um, so I will try using some of uh, Wes Nisker's writing. So um, he says, if you check in at any given moment during the day, you'll notice the presence of one mind state or another. Although this may not seem obvious, the truth is that we are generally not conscious of our mind states, their origin, or how they function in our lives. So a lot of times you'll get this, um, something will go wrong as you walk in the door and you're irritable, right? But you're not, you're foggy on it. It's just irritability acting out, right? It's just, and it gets globalized. And then sometimes you um, might even project it on another person you love. How novel, right? But you know what I mean? Or you turn on the news or something's not right. and right. So we rarely notice it. We don't see our mind's condition because we're inside the condition, right? We're not noticing it as a condition. So when I check to see how I'm feeling, I will often discover that I am inhabited by an emotion that moved in without my permission. <laughs> right? Right? Sometimes I will be feeling mildly irritated or grumpy and will suddenly realize that I'm hungry, that the feeling of irritation is being generated by a low blood sugar level, or else I will examine a bad mood and realize that it started with some task that didn't go well in the morning or remark that someone made hours ago, but the emotional state is still operating like a free agent, you know, feeding on its own momentum. In general, I realize that I am often not exactly conscious of how I'm feeling. And when I do check in, I discover that I'm not having a feeling so much as a feeling is having me. <laughs> and that's what he described with the fish. It was like, you know, rationally, it was like, okay, you know, my partner tried and uh, moving on. You know, like, there was a part that was really quite rational, and yet this feeling state was like coming in like a tsunami. Um, and if you're mindful and awake, that becomes interesting, right? You're not caught, it becomes in. Wow, you know, you don't take it so personally. And guess what? You don't have to be mean to your partner who really tried anyway, uh, but didn't grow up in the South. (laughs) 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 So the instructions of the Satipatthana Sutta, which is what we're talking talking about, tell us quite simply, become aware of our mind states and emotions. A meditator, and this is from the sutta, a meditator knows a lustful mind as lustful, a mind free from lust as free from lust, Um, a, a hating mind as hating, a mind free from hate as free from hate. Since a mind state can also be distinguished by the degree of consciousness that is present, the meditator is also instructed to notice whether your mind is distracted, concentrated, or diluted. I love the diluted one, because let me tell you, uh, my mind travels there 
very frequently to um, the street of deluded, <laughs> distracted, you know, and it's a natural state, nothing to be ashamed of, right? But we got to claim it when it's there without self-judgment. Um, he says, contrary to what you might expect from a spiritual text, the various emotions and mind states are neither condemned nor praised, right? You they're not telling you to feel like you're a, bad, a failure in your practice when you're stuck and caught hijacked in a crazy emotion. Not at all. They're just saying, know that it's there. And I say, not only know that it's there, inhabit it. Like, welcome it. Like Rumi says, embody it. It's there already, right? Um, if we can just observe or name a mind state, we're no longer completely identified with it. Um, once we're no longer lost in the mind state, we can recognize the function of a nature based on evolution. And um, he talks about, um, if you begin to check in on your mind states, you may notice the almost constant presence of, de of desire. So my friend went on to tell the story of his birthday evening and the suffering, right? But also the insights he had. So they finished the unhappy meal, and they were going to the movies. And they live in a crowded area of LA, so the parking on a Friday night, it was a Friday night, was terrible, and they had to park. Oh, God, in L.A., five blocks from the theater. In New York, you'd be, I only had to park five blocks, right? In L.A., it's a catastrophe. I had to park five blocks. And again, you know, he was, he was watching his mind, and he just heard his mind chattering. I can't believe we have to park five blocks. This is so inconvenient. This is just not working out. It's not right. This is so distressing. And then he looked, right? He looked at what was happening. And he saw the story being generated of dissatisfaction when there was really very little to be dissatisfied about. And it's fascinating when you look at it just through the magnifying glass without a judgment that the mind um, were saturated with this desire all the time. We all are. And um, even when things are going well, there's a desire to have it go more well, or more comfortable, right? Or a desire to have the future be more well and more comfortable. And it's just a mind that likes, that clings to wanting, is what the Buddha is saying. Um, he says, what can truly feel embarrassing is to catch yourself desiring what you already have or desiring to be where you already are. I'm sometimes aware, especially upon discovering some new beach or nature walk or restaurant, that I will start looking forward to coming back to that place, even before I walked in the door, right? Long before I even left it, I'm still planning my next good trip with some good friends, right? I'm planning to return with the proper apparel, the right friends, the right time of day, um, so I can have a more perfect experience, right? So my mind has already moved on to my next experience of that very place. 
Dissatisfaction, he says, appears to be built in to the human condition. And although that may sound cruel, it is apparently in the best interest of our survival. The brain maintains a certain degree of unease, running continually, keeping us monitoring the world for some advantage or danger, always a little on edge and ready for action. The motor may lie somewhere within the brainstem, and then he goes into some where in the brain. Um, and it says, says, experiments on several animal species indicate that we share this perpetual unease with many forms of life, um, and it comes directly from those in the jungle or on savannas who need to stay on full alert for both predators or prey. Eat or be eaten was the law by which they lived. So, um, so we have this alarm system with new threats and new opportunities that can chatter and take away peace and ease um, if we're not mindful of that happening. And so for him, it was um, a five-block walk. Uh, for me, the other day, I woke up to um, this chirping sound, and it was one of these detectors, um, not smoke alarm, the other one, carbon monoxide, and it was like, ding, ding, ding. And before I could think about it, my mind was talking already, oh, this is going to ruin my day. What if I can't turn it off? How will I meditate? <laughs> Do yoga, I don't want to be bothered. Like, why did they make these things? This, the day will be ruined, you know. And it, it goes on and on. And I walked over to the thing and pressed a button. It went off. <laughs> right? But how many times, you see, the problem, and why are we talking about this in a Dharma talk, right? The problem is with this is that we then populate this to an I got irritable. My day got ruined. I was silly. You see what I mean? It becomes very, another story happens around an event. Yeah? And what the Buddha is trying to teach us, and science kind of backs this up, is that there really isn't a personal story in here. There's just a series of firings of your brain and your body, moment by moment by moment by moment, and you're interpreting and reacting to it. And then, just like me with the shears, right, and there's a hedge at five in the morning, we're planting all these, we're filling our mind with these, sto with these stories, and the body follows. And sometimes we walk around with all this stress and tension and, yeah. So um, why we meditate, why we're mindful, is that we get this space and this capacity to hold and see these stories so we're not caught and snagged and running with them and they're not taking over our lives. So he says one more, he says several interesting things, um, and I wish I had time to, um, to, to read more to you about um, some of his comments in here. They're quite good. But I want to talk to you before we end about um, 
he talks about this tendency to think or die. He calls it think or die. He talks about how we do a lot of planning in our minds, future planning. And I don't know about you, if you're a mature, rational adult, you have a belief, if I think this through well, I study this hard, right? And I spend time and I use my logic and my knowledge, maybe I read consumer reports, then I can plan a future that's very secure and it will go well, right? I have the power to do that. And if I don't think it through correctly, I'm going to be in trouble, right? And to some degree, there's truth in that. If you want to get a mortgage for your house, it would be important to study the loan, who you're getting the loan from and the best rate and what bank to avoid and which one to go with, right? Get a good broker. All these things are important. But in our planning, so that things will go well for us, this survival mechanism is in there that's from um, our evolution, from hereditary, from being human, where the brain starts to panic a little and get very hijacked and jittery around planning. Do you notice that sometimes? I can't make a decision and you feel this anxiety coming up? Because the brain doesn't know that it's not life or death, right? It's a survival thing. I have to make the right decision to survive, right? And then you're getting anxious over, do I get Rocky Road or butter pecan in the ice cream store, right? It just starts getting globalized to, do I wear my blue sweater or my purple sweater, you know? Um, do I go with this cable company or that cable company, Verizon or whatever, you know? Um, and this free-floating, bumpy little anxiety starts percolating around decisions. Do I call my friend and have dinner, or do I stay in and watch a movie? You know, and then you know, sometimes for us, this anxiety gets activated because decisions feel like they're all related to survival. So um, again, coming back to using this mindfulness and meditation to um, to upstart, to, 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 to sidetrack the game of being a human being with the central nervous system and amygdala, evolutionary processes, survival tendencies, this unconscious phenomena that hijacks us, keeps us stuck and kind of robs us of ease and peace and even wisdom, right? And that by using the Buddhist teachings and the mindfulness practice, you get to be free and see the nature of the way things are. Um, and at least be compassionate. Because there are some emotions, some planning, some decisions that really hijack us. They're painful. There's a lot of suffering, right, that comes with them. And in those moments, to be able to fully embrace the pain, that suffering, the strong emotion, with such compassion and love for ourselves, because we are human, we're in this body. Yeah. So the Buddha said a few things. Do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. Looking deeply at life as it is in this very moment, the meditator dwells in stability and freedom. 
So just by being here and staying here, you know, getting some enlightenment over the broken um, coffee mug, right? Just by being here, um, we get some stability and freedom. And he said, by your own efforts, waken yourself, watch yourself, and live joyfully. Right? When you could laugh at that moment where you got smacked, and you could see your biological mechanism, or you see the truth of the way things are, right? Or maybe you got very anxious about planning, and then you woke up and realized um, it's unstable anyway. <laughs> right? I can't control the universe, so I might have a great plan and get that great mortgage, and then, I don't know, the flood insurance was inadequate and we got a flood, right? That we can become free in these conditions we set up. Yeah? So, I'm going to see if there's anything else. And this, this will be, maybe now this will be the last thing that I say. It keeps, there's so many wonderful things here I can't. Um. He says, when I observe myself carefully in meditation, I am repeatedly amazed to watch how much of my feeling gets swayed and jerked around by instinctual or habitual reactions. Um, even though I have seen the process many times, I continually forget and fall into the habit of assuming that I am in full charge of my emotional condition. So hopefully this talk will free you from going, I'm so emotional, you know what I mean? Or blaming yourself for a strong emotion. It's, th it's this, this complex structure here that's very complex. It's got history. It's got biological needs, it's got evolutionary survival things, um, it's got culture, you know, your culture. Um, I was just listening to the radio about a certain presidential candidate tweeting things, you know, and stimulating fearful things in the brain. You know, really, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you do, right? What is that person doing? They're um, grabbing some fearful brains and manipulating them. Right? So humble, 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 always humble at how this waking up process has so much challenge, humbling, and how um, the potential for waking up in every moment from the coffee cup to the bigger life decisions, it's always there for us. Um, and, and we need each other for it, right? All right. So Daniel Goldman says, there was an emotional brain before a rational brain. We're in mindfulness. We're balancing this brain, this reactivity, impulsivity, the emotional, quick-reacting part of the brain with this wisdom factor. All right. So taking a minute to just take a couple of breaths here. Maybe closing your eyes. And I will read this quote from the Buddha again. By your own efforts, waken yourself, watch yourself, 
and live joyfully. Do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. Looking deeply at life as it is in this very moment, the meditator dwells in stability and freedom. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.